Do you remember when 30 was old? You people that are older than 30. Do you remember that? Be careful, you can walk right into it. I used to think 30 was old. When I was young, 30-year-olds were mature. They had homes. They had good jobs. They had 401k. They had insurance. What's that? That's wise. You go ask them something. They knew how to change tires, jump cars, change oil, do whatever. 30-year-olds knew how to do something. And then the closer I got to 30, I was like, well, they're just kind of like me. You know, I'm 42 now. If a 30-year-old came to me to tell me something, I ain't going to listen to them. <laughs> and I imagine that's going to get worse as time goes on, isn't it? If you want to enter the kingdom of God, you have to think 30 is old. Would you not listen to a 30-year-old? Here in our text, a 31-year-old is going to command his disciples. We have to begin to think that that 30-year-old man that walked this earth was wise beyond measure. That the counsel, full counsel of the Godhead was in his body. That's the Almighty God, the Prince of Peace walking the earth. Now we don't frown on 30-year-olds much to do. Maybe he had something to say to us too. We must think this, this man, the Lord Jesus Christ, we have to admire him, we have to listen to him, we have to obey him, and we have to trust him. And here, a man in his young 30s, the God-man, he tells our brethren and he tells his disciples to do something. They just fed the 5,000. He fed 5,000 men, not counting women and children, with five biscuits and two sardines. That's what just happened. So here in verse 45, Mark 6, verse 45. And straightway, that means immediately, and straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida. While he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling in rowing. For the wind was contrary unto them, And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. Not passed them by. See that? Would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit, and cried out. They weren't afraid of the waves. Do you understand that? Half of them is commercial fishermen. They've been in a storm or two. They've been tossed around a little bit. They thought they saw a ghost and they got scared. For they all saw him, verse 50, and were troubled. That's why they were troubled, because they saw him. They saw a thing they thought was a spirit coming, a ghost coming. And immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, Be of good cheer. It is I, be not afraid. And he went up unto them in the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure, and wondered, because, for, they considered not the miracle of the loaves, because their heart was hardened. A theologian might say we're going to have an experiential message this first hour, and then an evangelical message the second hour. And I pray it's both on both counts. <laughs> I hope the Lord saves somebody with this. And, and it, I hope it's something I've experienced. I can just tell you what this means. I live it. I know what I'm talking about. 
There may be one or two here this morning that's doing what the Lord's put in their hand to do, but they're suffering great trials and afflictions, and they're not seeing any progress at all. There might be someone that doesn't know who He is. That's that's a picture that we're seeing here for those that have yet to be saved. We were in that garden of, of, of Eden, and everything's fine. We was in harbor. It was pretty. Water's flat. No problems. Something happened. The Lord sent Adam out from the garden, didn't He? Sin entered in. And now we're out in the oceans. We're out in the waves of destruction and wrath, and we can't help ourselves. We can't save ourselves. And we're scared to death. And the Lord's on dry land in His mountain praying. And He looks upon His people in this earth. And He has compassion on them. He loves them. And He comes down to that water we have no hope of dealing with. And He walks on that water. And He comes near us. We don't know it's Him. And in any many ways, shape, form, and fashion, in power, He reveals Himself to His child. And He speaks peace to the heart of His child. And He said, you see this water? I'll take care of it. I sent this. This is all by design so you'll see me. That's what happens. But in our lives, after the Lord does that for the first time, sometimes the Lord sends us out to do something. He puts it in our hand to do something. And He sends a storm while we're doing what He tells us to do. And sin enters in. Wicked enters in. Unbelief enters in. Silly, childish, superstition, fear enters in. And we think, what are we going to do? And then He comes to us, passes by, (laughs) and He reveals Himself and He calms us once again. Once again. And the whole problem is we ain't looking to it. What was our problem in our sin, even when we was playing church and, and we was seeking God, we said, the God of our imagination, and we did all these things for religion. What was the problem? We didn't know Christ. We didn't know who He was. We didn't know what He did. That was the problem. You didn't know God until He revealed Himself to us. Then once He's revealed Himself to us and we know Him and we're His child, I know Him. I know whom I have believed. And then, buddy, trouble comes. What's my problem? I don't look to Him. See that? I forget Him. My mind's on things of this world. My mind's on other things, not Him. That's the problem. I want us to first understand what is happening here, and I hope we can enter into it. Foolishly, we say that a whole lot. That's just the thing we toss around. Oh, we entered into this Scripture. What's that mean? What's it mean to enter in? It's a phrase in common usage, isn't it? To enter into a Scripture... That means it hits us where we live. It ain't just put in shoe leather. It's put leather put on our shoes. You understand that? This is me. <laughs> it's to me. This is me. It's for me. This is me. That's called entering in. Not that you have a good theological standpoint on what this illustration pictures. No, it's me. That's me. I, I've lived that. I know what this means. In verse 45, it said, And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before into Bethsaida while he sent the people away. The Lord had to constrain them. When the Lord restrains something, that means he keeps it from happening. When he constrains something, that means he makes it happen. 
That means they didn't want to go. They didn't have good enough sense to go. It wasn't in their idea or their will to go. And so the Lord constrained them. He said, get in the boat. Get in the boat. They didn't want to leave the Lord. They knew Him already, didn't they? That's who, that's who this is for this morning. You who know Him already. They knew Him already, and I said, I don't want to go where you ain't. I want to be where you are, Lord. But He constrained them. What constrained them? His love. All this is on purpose. Don't forget that. His love constrained them. Because He loved them, He made them get on the boat. That's what Paul told us there in 2 Corinthians 5. For the love of Christ constraineth us. Not our love for Christ constrains us. Well, I make good decisions because I love love Jesus. No, you don't. (laughs) His love. Love of Christ. Because He loves us. That makes us love Him. And He constrains us. That's what happened. But He gave them something to do. His constraining love gave His children, His obedient children, something to do. He's going to put them to work. They were at sea. <clears throat> this sea was calm there in the harbor. They were at the harbor. It was just as smooth as a mill pond in Maine. Flat. That water was so flat, it looks like you could walk on it. Can you handle these waters? I can handle that. <sighs> Poor fellas. Us too. Poor us. Isn't it? The sun was shining. It was a beautiful day. It was daylight. The palm trees were gently swaying. There in the harbor, all was right. And the Lord gave them a mission. I want you to do something for me. You got it. The Lord put something in their hand to do. It says, And straightway He constrained His disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida, while He sent away the people. Our Lord's going to send away those other 5,000 men, not counting the women and children. He's going to send those away. He's preached to them. He's fed them. Now go. But for you twelve, I got something special for you. That make you perk up? Me? I get to do something? I want to serve the Lord. Them others didn't get to. They had to leave. I can get to do something. Pride starts seeping in from a get-go, don't it? Getting puffed up. For these disciples, he said, I want you to do something. There's a place I want you to go. Get in this ship and go. Did eleven of them go? His children obey Him when He gives a command. He constrained them. He commanded them to get in there. There might have been some excitement over that. I would think so. I can enter into that. God asked us to go somewhere. He put us put something in our hand to do. Well, that's just crossing the Sea of Tiberias to Bethsaida. Well, that's, I don't care. It's who asks us. <laughs> I don't care if I'm sweeping floors or, or steering the ship. It don't make a difference. I can serve God. I'm excited. Look how beautiful the day is. There's no woes. There's no waves. Well, this is good. This is going to be great. I have high expectations. You read that yet? I have high expectations. Every time I preach, I think this roof is going to come off this place by people just singing and praising God and the floor is going to be just dripping wet with tears because of joy. Oh, I see what a sinner I am and I say who paid for my sin. I expect that. Sun's shining. Palm trees are beautiful. I'm going to get a labor with my brothers. Oh, everything's just so perfect. What a great day this is. And thankfully, though, our Lord knows our frame. He makes intercession for us before we know we need intercession. He was the lamb slain before sin ever entered into the world, wasn't He? He knows all things. He controls all things. He's mindful 
of us. What a thought that is. We don't row into trouble alone. He's with us. We're not just with a small group of believers that are just by ourselves. You better figure it out. He's with us. It says in verse 46, And when He had set, sent them on their way, He departed into a mountain to pray. And when evening was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and He alone on the land. Our ever-watching Lord, who's omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, always mindful of he, His children, He sees us exactly where He put us. That, that's, that's heavy, isn't it? The Lord looks on us where He put us. He put us there. Where, how did these fellows get out in the what, did, Was He shocked? Does He react? I didn't know a storm was coming. I didn't watch the weather channel. No, He's God. He looked on them right exactly where He left them. Right exactly where He constrained them. Right exactly where He loved them to go. That's where He put them. And He watched. Oh, man. He's not headed into distress. We are. You get that? He, he's not heading into not knowing what's happening. We are. That's us. We're in a confusion. He's not. He watched. Do you ever wonder what was going through His mind while He looked upon His children? He wasn't standing there like a, just a blank painting, was He? He, has a, he had a heart and mind. He's a man. What did He think? Here's what He told Jeremiah. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. It doesn't look too peaceful, does it? These boys are about to drown in the middle of the sea. <laughs> these, these seafaring men about to not make it in the waves. They don't look good. And the Lord says, this is peaceful. This is not evil. You have an expected end. This is out of love. That's where it all started with constrainment, wouldn't it? This love, this end is going to be peaceful. This end is going to be beautiful. Verse 48, And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary to them. And about the fourth watch of the night he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. These disciples were not lukewarm. They may not have been making forward progress. They're stuck. But boy, that's growing. Did you know that? They're growing muscles. <laughs> Getting stronger rowing this boat. They were giving all they had. They weren't making any progress forward. They weren't trailing backwards. They're just sitting there spinning their wheels. Ain't accomplishing nothing. And they're giving it all they have. That's so faithful, isn't it? But they're still in a sin-filled old man. There's an old nature that rears its ugly head that we're just susceptible to any, any time. Many times. It's always with us. This body of death. That's what we're housed in. Our new man's housed in this body of death. I think I entered into this. There are times in a believer's life when we struggle. And the Lord tells us to row. He doesn't say row and bail out all the water. He doesn't say count the waves. He doesn't say do anything. He said row. Now row. Get to rowing. Row some more. I've been rowing. Row more. That's your job. Your job's to row. They're told to row, row, and row more. But that's toiling. It becomes a burden. Why? We make it so. We make it a burden. There's no ground gain, but we haven't lost any ground, but we don't seem to be moving. And our mind of flesh wars with us while we serve God. 
while we do exactly what He says to do. And you know what comes of that? I get frustrated. You ever been frustrated? Maybe once. Maybe one time. I get frustrated. I'm doing exactly what the Lord told me to do. I'm obeying Your Word, Lord. You put me here. I'm doing what You said. I'm obeying. And I'm not getting anywhere. Nothing's happening. I'm not going forward. I'm not going back. I'm wearing myself out and nothing's happening. Nobody cares. That's where it starts. It starts there. When we don't see or we don't feel the results we ought think we think ought to be. That's where it starts. That's mankind, is it? Isn't it? Isn't that all of us? Isn't that every one of us? It ain't working out the way I think it ought to work out. And boy, my, my pity party starts getting huge. There's balloons and slides. And I'm about to take all my toys and go home. I'm going to take my football and go to the house. That's what mankind is. As the Lord says here in a couple of verses, that's hard-heartedness. you got stiff necks. <laughs> I wonder what that means in that culture in that day. I want, that, mm, filthy rags don't... That's something worse than our day. If I use modern vernacular, people probably throw rocks at me. Stiff neck. I tell you what, you got stiff necks. And goes, mm. That's the first thing too, ain't it? I do too. That's what mankind is. We're hard-hearted. We think we're right. The Lord's not that way. He don't think the way we think. Do you know that? He don't have the, the, the thoughts go through His mind that we have. He said, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. Would I take my children and say, Go out and that hurricane's coming. Here's a tiny little boat and an oar. Have at it. No! My thoughts wouldn't go there. We can teach them in the classrooms. Read, let them read a book about it. Not our Lord. He said, My ways are not your ways. For as the heavens are higher than earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. But my arms are getting tired. Nothing seems to be happening. And it's deep water. This is dangerous water. This is life and death waters. I'm getting tired. And I can't do it no more. Then that frustration begins to grow a little bit more, don't it? Now our discomfort and frustration becomes murmuring. Our necks get stiff. Just like those children of Israel. Ain't nothing changed. Ain't nothing new underneath the sun, is it? Just like those children of Israel. Did you bring us out here in the wilderness to die? I could have died in Egypt. I could have starved to death where I used to live. With my pillow. Or whatever, you know. You bring us out here to kill us? I'm in this boat rowing what you told me to do, Lord. You said Bethsaida, and I don't think we're going to make it. You, you called all of us, made us follow you, gave us a new heart, and you're going to drown us out here and nobody's even looking. You, you said we're going to be fishers of men, you're about to make us a fish, we'll drown us. What's going to happen? Children of God, and those that ain't been converted yet, hear me. You wake up and you hear what I have to tell you. Never make the mistake of assuming when times are easy and times are great, that we are not in sin. Just because the Lord ain't sending judgment and chastening for our sin does not mean what we're doing is right. And likewise, just I mean, on the same, same coin, the other side of the coin, never consider great trouble and great weariness and great affliction to mean you're not doing what God's put in your hand to do.
I ain't seeing nothing. I'm drowning. About to drown. I, my arms are, I got a cramp. Oh, ah! <laughs> Screaming. I'm dehydrated. I've been toiling all night long. Who put them there? They're right exactly every molecule in place where God wanted them. Put them right where He wanted them. Remember what we looked at last week, that blind beggar? He had opposition, didn't he? He had trouble. These fellows are in trouble. These fellows are in trouble. We have opposition. That's what the heathen have. And a bug dies with fatness. All their children lock them. The children go to church with them. Some heathen place that don't tell the truth. And everybody's happy and everybody gets along and everybody's got good jobs. And ah, I want to give. They, they all, everybody on the land ain't tolling. I'm out here in the waves. And David said, when I entered the sanctuary of God and I went to the house of the Lord, then I knew their end. Then I knew their end. We also remember what we looked at last week in Psalm 20. The Lord hear thee in the day of trouble. He has sent the trouble, don't He? The name of the God of Jacob defend thee. Send help from the sanctuary and strengthen thee out of Zion. What was keeping them from making progress? Why couldn't they make it to the shore? The wind was contrary to them. You think about that. They were hedged about just like Gomer. They couldn't go nowhere. They were completely surrounded. They were brought out to the as Gomer was brought out to the wilderness, and the Lord, for the saving of her soul, these men in this boat, the Holy Ghost is on one side, the wind, and on the other side, our Lord Jesus Christ standing on shore looking at them. They're completely surrounded. They're completely surrounded. Surrender <laughs> by doing what God says. Kiss the Son lest He be angry. Trust all your heart, soul, mind, and body to Him. Trust all your weariness to Him. Trust all your lack of inability and your, your weakness to Him. Surrender. Lay down your guns. Leave your prayer warriors and go, and go surrender to God. No matter what. No matter what. That's a good place to be. That's a good place to be. When the Lord puts something in your hand to do, you do it with all your might, no matter what your mind may make of all the providence going on around you. God didn't tell me to analyze what was going on around me. He told me to do something. He gave me trash to take out. I'm going to take that trash out. It's raining. I don't care if it's raining. I'm taking the trash out. The Lord asked me to. These men did not row for a half hour and throw the oars overboard and say, well, if the Lord wants to save us, that's up to Him. They didn't become fatalistic, did they? Fatalism is fatal to both the body and the soul. But they were made obedient and faithful children, and they rode from sundown. Some was still shining when they left, wasn't it? Until the fourth watch. That's the last watch of darkness. We call that stand to in the army. Y'all might call it fourth watch in the Navy, Bob. I don't know. <laughs> but they rode all night. The only way out of our trouble is by seeing Christ. Christ the light. By His presence, by our shield, our defender, our healer, our banner coming to us. That's our only hope. Look here in verse 48. And He saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night He cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. Not passed them by. We sing, Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling... Do not pass me by. It does not say He would pass them by, but it says He passed by them. 
That's him revealing himself. Can you imagine? Here's a boat out in the middle of the sea, and these boys are fighting for their lives. And here comes somebody walking on the water. And not to them. Just kind of over this way. What are you looking at him? <laughs> He's going to walk right past them. Make you cry out. <laughs> what are you doing? Get, get over here. Well, that's another message, I guess. But Sometimes when the Lord reveals Himself in power, God Almighty comes to His child and He reveals Himself in power, it doesn't look like what we think it ought to look like. Just like our trials don't come out always the way we think they ought to, huh? Over in Luke 24, we remember those two brethren walking on the road to Emmaus and our Lord come to them. And He started preaching to them. And he said, what's wrong with you? Why are you so upset? And I said, didn't you hear, don't you know nothing? <laughs> don't you know what just happened? Christ was crucified. And He said, oh, fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ have suffered these things? Ought not He have walked your waves for you? And to enter into His glory... Receive all the glory for doing so. And beginning at Moses and the prophets, he expounded unto them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village, whether they went. He made as though he would have gone further. Oh, way they walked, and he, they did the walking, he did the talking, and their hearts did the burning, scripture says. And he said, he expounded the scriptures. He said, You know what? Christ had to suffer. You remember the ark that Noah built? It had to bear those waves to save those inside, pitched in and pitched without. It had to do that. That's, you, I thought that was just a big boat. You mean that's Christ? That's Him. I see it. I see it now. And then He's made it as if He's just going to keep on. Oh, is this where y'all stop is? Okay. Keep on. Well, absence makes the heart grow fonder, doesn't it? Don't leave. Don't leave. You come here. You stay with us. It's like Abimelech told Abraham, you pick any patch of land you want, you stay where I am. You're one of God's children. You preach to us. We want to take care of you. Come here. And it come to pass as he sat meat with them, he took bread, blessed it, and break, and gave it to them. He broke his body. He broke it. And he said, no, take it. He constrained them in love. Eat. He blessed it. He blessed it. And their eyes were open and they knew Him. Right then they knew Him. And He vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while He talked with us by the way and while He opened up to us the Scriptures? That's powerful, isn't it? God Almighty revealed Himself. And He walked with them for a while. He's always there. Lo, I'm with you always. He was always there. And He's about to, about to leave. And then they saw Christ. They saw Christ. That's what happened with Abraham, wasn't it? When he took Isaac up that mountain, Isaac lifted up, or Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him, a ram caught in a thicket by his thorns. He walked right past it, didn't he? He walked by. <laughs> he passed it by. It always was there. It hadn't been revealed yet. What did it take for that ram to be in the thicket? Everything in the universe. Every molecule that ever moved up to that second took for that ram to be in that thicket. The will and purpose of God for His glory. That's what took His power to put that ram in the thicket. Right next to Him. And Abraham didn't even know. On that road to Emmaus, didn't even know. Out here in the, in the, in the boat looking, and He's about to pass right by. He's been staring at Him a long time, ain't He? 
since before this world was created, since before we got on this big ball. <laughs> That's how his thoughts have been on them. Sometimes it's a little different. Sometimes it's very, very quiet, tender, gentle. Because our, our, our Father knows our frame and He knows His children. He deals with us individually. I don't know how to deal with my children individually. Some of them i got to whip. Some of them i just got to look at. Some of them i got to talk to. He knows us. He deals with us as need be. Sometimes it's a little more bombastic. That's what happened to old Saul. He was breathing threatenings and he got his marching orders to go persecute the church and he journeyed and came near Damascus. And suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. He was flooded. The floodlights came on. He was completely surrounded right then. That's a different kind of trial. These boys were in water. Here the light shone on. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. You know what that means? Surrender. I'm God. Surrender. But he spoke to the heart, didn't he? And he trembled and astonished and said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? You've constrained me. You've primed me. I'll go anywhere you want me to go. I'll do anything you want me to do. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. He's about to send Ananias to go tell him how much he's going to have to suffer. <laughs> he's about to go to have Ananias go tell him how tired his arms are going to get rowing <laughs> in this world. However, the Lord is pleased to reveal Himself to us in whatever degree of time or experience. All believers are thankful. I've gone over, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. All believers are thankful for the trouble that made them cry out in the first place. I had a friend named John years ago. He was in a wheelchair at 13th Street. John had a whole lot going for him. He had a good wife. He had a good life. He had a successful business. And then God paralyzed him, put him in a wheelchair. Well, the business didn't keep going. Well, the good life, you know, he can't travel as much now. The wife left. His life changed a whole lot. And he was sitting there watching TV one day, moping and sad in his condition and woeful and in trouble. And he turned the channel, and there was a man named Henry Mahan pointing his finger as, as Henry did. And he said, me and you have a whole lot that we don't have in common. But there's something me and you have in common. You're a sinner... And I'm a sinner. And John got so mad, turned TV off. He said, man, ain't going to tell me I'm no sinner. He got a little madder and said, maybe I'm see what else he's got to say. <laughs> and he turned it back on. And next thing you know, he started listening and listening, listening a little more, listening a little more. And the Lord saved John. And years later, I felt so sorry for I was a teenager, you know, he was about to, the Lord was about to take him home. And he said, you know, the best thing that ever happened to me in my life was God took everything from me and put me in a wheelchair because He did that to save me. <laughs> he did that to reveal Christ in me. It's every bit worth it. What's that? What's that? I was trying to write an article. People say, about, I'm, uh, with that one where I'm a, I have a prestigious position, I'm privileged to be a pastor. I was, I was thinking, you know what, one time in third grade, I was ahead of the lunch line, and people was jealous because of my power and my authority. <laughs> Do I care now what happened in third grade? Do you? Do you? I'm going to tell you something. When we get to glory, it ain't going to make a difference. won't matter one lick. won't matter. John was tickled to death. What comes out, what comes in our old nature after frustration and murmuring? We become overly religious. We become superstitious. Left to ourselves, looking to ourselves, looking to this world, we get overly religious. That's what superstition means. Look here in verse 49. Mark six forty nine. 
But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out. They went, Ah! It's a ghost! For they all saw him when more troubled. That's why they were troubled. They saw him. You mean to tell me? These apostles, these great disciples of the Lord, they thought they saw a ghost? Yeah. But I, I stopped believing in the boogeyman and ghosts and goblins and Bigfoot whenever I was nine years old. I got over that. You listen to me. Without the Lord Jesus Christ, His presence, without us having our eye fixed upon Him, being constrained by His love, man's just plumb crazy. It don't make no sense. You, you can get mad at one thing or another. It's all the same. That ain't, that, that ain't no different than anything else. If one religious group was running everything, would you be happier if the Southern Baptists did it? Would that make it better? If your child was going to a false church where they preached works, would, it, would you be happier if they went to another church over here that preached the same thing, but they just wore different size hats? Not looking to Christ is crazy. And nothing makes sense without Him. They were crying out in fear, not in mercy. They weren't crying out in mercy. They were crying out in fear. And our great God, who delights to show mercy, who answers before we cause, He was still merciful. Verse 50 says, For they all saw Him and were troubled, and immediately He talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer. It is I, be not afraid. And He went up unto them in the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. you know what the problem of all this was? All this woe, all this screaming and crying and tired muscles and everything else. Verse 52, For they considered not the miracle of the loaves that had happened within 24 hours. They saw creation. God took them fish and then biscuits and made food to feed 15,000 people. He created. He made something out of nothing. That wasn't empty calories. It fed people. Why did they forget that? For their heart was hardened. They had a hard heart. What, what do we have to cry out? I have to be always cautious. Be mindful of my soul. Lord, break my heart. Soften my heart. Give me a heart of flesh. The woe that comes with the waves is from not remembering the person and the work of our Lord. That's where the problem comes. Well, I've been walking with Him for 50 years. Your hard heart's your problem. <laughs> if you've been walking with Him that long, you probably ought to know it. What a wicked sinner you are. You see it more and more. When you get time, read Psalm 107. It speaks to those that, in ships that go down the sea and do business in great waters. And the storms that come, they see the works of God, and they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and He bringeth them out of their distresses. When you're rowing in deep waters that God sent you, keep rowing. Seek the Lord. Praise Him. Believe Him. And though He will slay me, trust Him. Trust Him. Christ descended on His place on high to walk these waters of wrath for us. I think He can handle some waves. <laughs> if He's gave His Son for us and shed His blood for us, I think He can handle a Tuesday evening. I think we'll be alright. What's our response? If the Lord does something like this, and we forget to look to Him, and we look to ourselves, we get hard-hearted and worldly, and we start getting superstitious and believing in the boogeyman, and then He comes to us and comforts us and points us back to Him, for that wave in this roller coaster life, what do we do? Look here in verse 53. It's beautiful. And when they had passed over, they came into the land of Genesaret, and they drew to the shore, and when they were come out of the ship, straightway they knew Him. They loved Him. 
And they went through the whole re- oh hey, look says it. They ran through that whole region round about and began to carry about beds and those that were sick and were <clears throat> they heard he was. They went and found everybody they could find that was sick. James, Philip, grab his legs. <laughs> you sick? Really sick? Let's go. I believe him. Lord saves saves people. He heals people. Come on. You a sinner? John Fireman carry me that one. Get, get him over there. Get him to Christ right now. What are you going to eat for dinner? We'll eat dinner later. Get him there. Get him to the Lord. And whithersoever he entered into villages or cities or country, they laid the sick in the streets and besought him that they might be touched, if it were but the border of his garment. And as many as touched him were made whole. In spite of me, and I learn this every day, in spite of me, God saved me. And I'm going to tell of all His doings and His great work. It's productive when you're getting somewhere. When you quit worrying about the rowing and you quit worrying about the distance and you see the Lord. Look to Him. Cry to Him and be ye saved. Amen.